Welcome to this episode of Doxology Matters. I'm David Elliott, and we desire to help you think deeply about God's Word as, as you, you praise, praise Him. him. Alright, <laughs> well you may notice a different voice on this episode of Doxology Matters. This is my new friend, David. Tell me your last name again. Elliot. David Elliot. And where do you live, David Elliot? I live in Newport News, Virginia. Okay, uh, uh, what do you like? What's some of your hobbies? Are you sports guy? Yes, I'm really into sports. I do soccer, basketball, and track. Do you follow MLS? Um, occasionally, not really though. Okay, and you told more me... Of a, more of a European soccer? Yeah, okay. Premier League. I'm an Arsenal fan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What position do you play? Um, I'm a stopper right now, but I'm trying to get up to the wing spot because I like scoring goals. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. And tell me what school you go to. I go to Hampton Christian Academy in Hampton, Virginia. Okay, and we have the class here with us, and the class name is? Uh, music and Media. Okay, and your professor, your oh, professor, your teacher, tell us who that is. That is Dr. Jones, the best teacher at Hampton Christian. Oh, <laughs> nice, nice. Yes, and... He's also a Southern Seminary grad, so in this room that gets extra credit. Yeah, yeah. And what do y'all do in that class? Um, So we started out the uh, semester learning like music stuff, like chords, going over like triads, things like that. Then we just got into the podcasting stuff. So we've been recording a bunch of podcasts lately, just learning about God, having Dr. Jones answer our questions. So yeah. Nice. And what's the podcast name? Uh, Theology Unscripted. You can find it on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Yeah. Good plug, good plug. Yeah, that was really (laughs) good, man. I better watch out my hosting job. (laughs) I'll be out of here. Uh, Pastor Kevin, anything you might want to ask this young fella? Uh, How long have you been playing soccer? When did you start? Soccer, I started my eighth grade year. I played on varsity, but then the COVID kind of happened, shut it down a little bit. We didn't have a varsity team my 10th grade year. But this year we were able to go back to uh, the varsity team, which was fun. How, how did you get to be an Arsenal fan? I don't know. It's just one of my uncles, his parents lived over in England, and it kind of just came natural to me. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. What's been your favorite episode that you've recorded? For the uh, Theology Unscripted, I like the one where we were talking about how God like reacts to bad things. Like if we can blame God for the problems that we have. and just That was a good episode, in my opinion. And then the last episode we did about prayer, that one was really good. Because just how God answers our prayers and how God's not like Santa Claus, like Dr. Jones said. (laughs) Okay. Um, How long are the episodes usually? Um, 15 minutes, nothing too crazy, because just like something you can listen to on the way to work, on the way home. Nothing like 40 minutes, an hour long. Now to the students, do you guys come up with the questions? Yes, we do. Sometimes we have like other students from the school. They can come ask Dr. Jones questions and stuff. Oh, good. Ask him really hard ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the last episode, we got a, another student to answer one of the questions, and he's Catholic, so getting his Catholic point of view is kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys all go to s- similar churches? Like, Did you know each other before you went to school together, or is the school itself kind of where you gathered together and met each other. Yeah, the schools where I, I, we found each other. I've known Dylan over there for 13 years. We've been together. Then Chris, we play basketball together. Caden, he's been in my class for a good minute. Then we have Megumi Charlotte. Charlotte's new to us. She's an exchange student from Germany, which is really cool. Oh, I thought I heard an accent when she came yeah. in. Yeah. But yeah, school is like, I like the school because it's not too big. So you like know everyone and you can build relationships and have good relationships with everyone. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
we're glad to have you set up this episode and we're glad Thank for the class sir. to be here and we're gonna uh I don't know what they say it in soccer, but we'll go call for the bench or substitute. Substitution. Substitution. Right. substitute. The On the day of the atonement, it's yeah. called a substitute. Substitute. Ah, well yes. played. Well played. Yes. Okay. Welcome, Dr. Jones, to the podcast. Good hey, to have thanks. you here. It's great to be back. Yeah, and I was on episode two of Doxology. Hey, look at that. That's he right. predates us. Right. right. And we he's got such a cool three. mystique about him, too, with the curly hair. and the, It's what I'm going for. You know? He sells coffee. And what's your coffee? Uh, my wife owns Mangata Coffee and Tea, and I work for her. Okay. So that's the way that I like to do things. So it's a great business. Yeah, we love it. We love making coffee. So, yeah, teach at Hampton Christian and uh coffee business on the side that's what we do what's one thing you've appreciated about these students as you oh man they're so much fun i love this class that's why i wanted to to bring them out here show them around uh love bethel love keith you uh you just got a great ministry here and i just wanted to give them a taste of where we could be you know we've been working on this uh working on our podcast it's been a lot of fun uh but you know like i said we're using a lot of free resources and so uh just kind of wanted to give them a vision and um you know just because how much we've enjoyed that how much i've enjoyed this class so well, we're excited about it well great well it's glad to have you here we're going to jump into this episode and listener if this is your first time listening we have been going through wayne grudem's bible doctrine and uh today we're going to talk about the atonement the atonement so i'm just going to kick it off with a introductory question how would you define the atonement and then the follow-up question is, why should it matter to the average Christian? Hmm. So I'll, I'll quote Grudem here. Grudem says, The atonement is the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. So I'll repeat that for our listeners. The atonement is the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. So then you ask the question, why, why does that matter? Why is that important? Well, it is so central. The subject of the atonement is so central to the entirety of Scripture that we cannot be honest or serious students of Scripture without giving serious attention to the atonement. It is, it is that crucial from Genesis to the end. It is that central. We, we see the atonement hinted at in Genesis 3 uh, by the covering of Adam and Eve. Uh, We see it um, in Leviticus 16, the day of atonement. We see it throughout the Gospels, John 3, um, 16, uh, notably. We see it all the way in Revelation chapter 5 as um, you purchased by your blood uh, many people. So the atonement is key and central to Scripture, and it should be key and central to us. What did Grudem say is the ultimate cause of the atonement? Do you remember that? I'm assuming it's the combination of God's love and his justice uh, coming to bear on human sin. My uh, beloved professor and mentor, Howard Griffith, once said, every time the Bible explains why Jesus was incarnated, it has sin in view. Every time the, the Bible talks about why Jesus came, what he was here to do and bring about, it always has the redemption of the fall in view as the purpose for why he came. That's good. Yeah, I was thinking about, you mentioned uh, Leviticus and the Day of Atonement, and something I've been realizing is the Day of Atonement is the central part of the Torah. That's the focus of the whole Torah, and the whole law is 
God atones and redeems his people through the atonement by blood. And there's, you got the two goats in the atonement, right? In the day of atonement. You've got the, the scapegoat that has the sins are put on that goat and it's sent away. And you have the goat that dies. And uh, that points forward to Jesus who becomes both of those somehow. So yeah, just the day of atonement being kind of the central focus of the Torah, I think is really significant. Yeah. Do you think the average Christian in the pew has an idea clarity about what the atonement is or do you think they think that's just a theological word that pastors and theologians use i think they have an idea i mean i think we've we've sang enough hymns um jesus paid it all for mm-hmm. example when that we've got the wonders cross yeah yeah that, that we've got an a, a idea and an example um i was reminded of our episodes through um John Murray's Redemption Accomplished and Applied, which Grudem leans so heavily on the first part of that book. He doesn't quote him, doesn't quote Murray, but they're in lockstep in a lot of ways. Um, I was reminded how Murray points out that we'll never exhaust this. We can never stop, we'll never exhaust the subject of of Christ in our place. Mm. Um, So let's keep thinking about it. I think about Psalm 103 where it says he forgives all of your iniquity. Every time I read that verse, I'm thinking, all of my iniquity? Like, that's a lot. Yeah. And then I think about every person in the church and then every person in the world. Like, the gravitas of that, of Jesus paying the penalty for sin is huge. And R.C. Sproul, you know, he mentioned that the physical pain, yes, was, was hard for Jesus to endure, but the very wrath of God on Jesus was greater and paid and paid for the penalty of our sin right so what we're talking about is the doctrine of vicarious meaning substitutional penal sacrifice penal meaning like law abiding penalty code Uh, and so the structure of scripture is set up the skeleton if you will that everything else is attached to and hangs on is the covenant relationship that God has with his people um, and Adam had responsibilities and obligations. We've talked about that on other casts. He failed those obligations, and Christ comes to redeem, to restore, and then even to supersede. I appreciate the way the great theologian Herman Bavink says it. He says, Christ not only acquired what Adam lost, but also what Adam, in the way of obedience, would have gained. And Grudem, at the very outset of this chapter, does a masterful job of helping us understand that we need Jesus' righteous life as much as we need his atoning sacrifice, because the atonement requires perfect sacrifice, a lamb without spot or blemish. And Grudem, at the very outset, is saying, look, we're going to sing bloody songs forever, right? That's the R.C. Sproul quote. Get ready for eternity, y'all. We're going to be singing bloody songs forever to capture what Christ has done in his crucifixion. But we're also going to be praising him for the righteous life that he lived. And Grudem, at the very outset, starts with, we need vicarious, meaning substitutionary elements, both in our life and in our death. And it's in his life and his death that the obligations of the covenant are met. Mm -hmm. And that our failures, in light of the obligations we have in covenant with God, he needs to pay the penalty for our breaking that covenant. I think about uh, Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Dr. Jones mentioned uh, 
an Old Testament reference. Any other uh, New Testament references that come to mind about the atonement? The entire book of Romans. Yep. I love Romans. my favorite book. Yep. I like Romans 8 1. I love Romans 5 1. You know, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of my favorites. I thought of Galatians 3. Uh, 3.13, and I brought it up just to make sure I got it right here, uh, and it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And I think that's kind of the heart of what the atonement is. He became that curse so that he could atone for us. Mm. Uh, just made me think of that song, uh, older Chris Tomlin song, Jesus Messiah. Mm-hmm. He became sin, who knew mm-hmm. no sin. Yep. We, might we might become come. his righteousness. Yeah. Right out of Romans 5. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, it's good to see you. As you were just sharing the scripture, I really miss your uh, influence in my life. Really, I appreciate do. that. Yeah, yeah. such yeah. a great biblical guy. Any other New Testament ones? That, uh, sure. I mean, my favorite is Ephesians one seven. We have redemption through His blood. Through His blood. It's yes. the it's the four word gospel. Redemption through His blood. Uh, I also think about Hebrews two seventeen talking about the significance of turning the wrath of God and satisfying divine justice. And so there are lots. You can hear Jesus' cry on the cross uh, and his preparation before that. On the cross, he says it is finished. The it there, right? What's the antecedent? The antecedent there is payment for sin. The life of obedience lived, the obligations of the covenant upheld, all of that is in view, meaning salvation. The work of saving us in an objective way is met by Jesus on the cross. And he anticipated that moment when he talked about uh, the ransom and God receiving payment for our sin at the cross. So in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he, he says that this is the purpose for which he has come, to ransom his people. Mm. That was my next question of why was the atonement necessary? But you just answered that. Any summary statement, concision that you might want to offer why was the atonement necessary? I think you did a faithful job explaining that. Yeah, absolutely. John John Murray points us to uh, John chapter 3, and he says there are really only two options. Either Christ dies for us, or we as sinners go to hell. The, those, so the the rescue is necessary. Mm. That book that uh, both of these brothers have mentioned, Redemption Accomplished and Applied by John, John Murray, Murray, is extraordinary. I was at a Ligonier conference a couple weeks ago, and there were like three sitting on the table at the bookstore, and this guy was picking it up, and I said, you won't regret reading that book. It is fantastic. Buy that book. It is so great. First time I'd heard the the phrase, golden chain of salvation. Yeah. From Romans 8. Yeah. Um, Explain the nature of the atonement. The New Testament essentially lays out Uh, what I consider to be a diamond, this is sort of the metaphor I think about it in, that the atonement is like a beautiful diamond, and you will see and shine because it has different facets, different points that we can see and look at and see reflected and study. And so it will require a little bit of vocabulary uh, to be able to understand these facets, but the first and easiest is redemption. It's the idea that, that God paid the price of our pardon, 
Uh, it's um, you could also have ransom, as I mentioned earlier in Matthew twenty verse twenty eight. You have the image that Paul continually refers back to with the Corinthian church. God makes his enemies his friends at the cross. Mm. This is the idea of reconciliation. And then there's two more that are considered a little more fancy, a little more highbrow, uh, and that is expiation and propitiation. And they're just words. They have meanings. Don't be intimidated by Christian vocab, right? You, we learn vocabulary all the time in life, especially if you're a parent and you want to try and understand what your kids are saying. There's a lot of vocab learning involved uh, because, you know, language can develop over time or, or the, the youths have uh, phrases or, or idioms that you have to understand. Well, theology and its church history has it. And so expiation is the doctrine where God removes the guilt of our sin. It's the removal of the guilt that we have. And that, again, is objective. It happens in time and space. And it's exactly what Dr. Jones was talking about out of Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement. This idea of expiation is the placing of sin upon the head of another, and then they bring that sin out of the camp, and it goes away and, and dies in the wilderness. Well, Jesus was crucified outside the city. The, the, the idea here is that if you want to know where your sin goes, what it costs, you look at the atonement, and you remember, believer, in, in all the difficulty of the darkest moments— Remember that Jesus didn't just pay for your atonement. That's the propitiatory work. He expiates your sin. He takes your sin from you and separates it from you as far as the east is from the west. Now, that's what I was thinking of, the east from the west. As you were, that's one of my favorite verses, too, as far away as possible. I love that. So um, I would say I'm reformed, and I've come to understand, you know, in the tulip model with limited atonement and you've talked to me about is a particular redemption yeah that's my favorite yeah instead of memorizing tulips sometimes i teach tupac uh just to make it a little bit more memorable but (laughs) it's the same three doctrines they just have slightly different names um because i think limited atonement becomes difficult to hear so before you come to that i wanted to mention one thought of why i thought about that so Christ did this work. He took our sin away. He imputed his righteousness to us. How does that fit into the uh, the golden chain of salvation and God's uh, sovereignty and he predestined us, predestined us? Like when do we receive, when does he take away our sin? And when is when does he impute our, his righteousness to us? So there's there's three elements to your question, if I can splice them out. And they're all understood in three different Latin phrases. So the first Latin phrase then is the pactum salutis. It is the agreement, pactum pact, the agreement of salvation. And that happened, you can see it in Titus 1, uh, the first three verses there, that God in eternity past, Father, Son, and Spirit agree together on this mission of salvation. Before anything is created, before heaven exists, before the world exists, before there are angels or land or sea or animals or people, way before the creation of anything, God determines to rescue us, to save his people. Uh, And so that's the pactum salutis, the agreement of salvation, salutis, salvation. 
And so that happens in eternity past. And all three members of the Trinity are going to take part in this plan of an agreement of salvation. Have you heard that Gerhardus Boss quote, that proof that God will not stop loving us is that he never started? Yep. Yeah, he, he can't stop loving us because he never began. He always has. And sometimes when we talk about predestination, we have to remember that's for love. He loved us ahead of time. And that will get to part of the answer on limited atonement or particular redemption. So, but that's eternity past, and it's all three members of the Trinity. In uh, the Bible, it looks forward from the very beginning of the fall. It looks forward to the coming of the Messiah when God would come and accomplish the purposes of the atonement. The, the work of salvation, this plan of redemption, this covenant of grace. And so everything in the Old Testament is pointing ahead to the coming of the Messiah. And then in the coming of the Messiah, you actually create the ground of our salvation. This is sort of the historia salutis, the history of salvation. That's the second uh, Latin phrase. And the history of salvation has two dimensions. One is all of human history. The second is that the ground of our salvation is the incarnation of Jesus through his atoning work and final breath on the cross. Okay. So he is earning our salvation. And it, that earning, that ground is completed at Pentecost when God gives his spirit to the church, to the apostles, to the world, as the gospel message goes forth so you're in the Great Commission. He's earning it while he's here living a perfect sinless life? Yes, for us. And mm. so you have... That's why him, he has to be sinless. Exactly. That's why Grudem's beginning with the vicarious life before we get to the vicarious death. And so that's the ground or the basis of our salvation. It's not our obedience, it's his. It's not our righteousness, it's his. So when we talk about the doctrine of imputation, part of what we're talking about is that Jesus gives us what is truly his and has been accomplished in time and space in human history. And that's the coming of the Messiah. And then the rest of the Bible points back to the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus. And surely that includes his teachings, but it's not only his teachings. It's actually what he accomplishes in the person and work of Jesus. Then we have to go to a third phrase, which is the ordo salutis. And that's the ordering of salvation or the application of salvation in an individual's life. And so you have this decree of God in agreement, they're going to save. And then you have this earning of the son, the meriting of the son in history. And then later on, you have the application of what was earned by Jesus given to the, the Christian. And so you can see this in Paul's language in Romans. Towards the end of Romans, he actually talks about somebody being in Christ before him. That's not an eternal decree statement. It's a statement that says, no, the Holy Spirit brought him alive together with Christ. This is the language of Ephesians 2, mm -hmm. early on in 1 through 9, the, this coming alive of Jesus Christ and, and our union with him happening in time and space. And that's the applicating work, the applying work, the applicational work of the Holy Spirit bringing salvation and actually giving it to you in time and space. So there's a, there's a subjective and experiential element of this, but the objective ground for it 
happened at the cross in the life and death of Jesus Christ. So, so, so if, I, yes. if I can just kind of wrap my mind around this, right? I'm, I'm, listener, this is how secure your salvation is, that God covenanted with himself in eternity past to accomplish it. So if you're ever, not if, when, you are tempted to to doubt your salvation, struggle with it. Remember, look look to God covenanting with himself, eternity past. Look to Christ on the cross in your place. Francis Schaeffer used to say, the cross has to be real enough where you believe you could get a splinter if you ran your finger along it, right? Christ died for you. And look to the Spirit's work in your life, redemption accomplished and applied, as the you, application of that. As you think about those that made have seasons of doubting their salvation, what word would you say to them, additional word, on that particular topic? Uh, Be encouraged. Uh, And I know that's an oversimplification to say to a discouraged person. I get that, right? But but remember that that your struggle is, in part, evidence of the fruitfulness of your salvation being applied, Hmm. right? If you didn't care about this, you wouldn't struggle with it. Why do you think people struggle with that? I... I think, well, and I was thinking of this verse. I mean, we struggle with it because of our sin, because of our humanity, because of our weaknesses. And I just kept thinking of the verse that says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And say, not even ourselves. We can't even separate ourselves from the love of God. Mm. Our doubts and our, our sin and our uh, what our brokenness, it can't, we can't even do it. Mm. God holds us that tightly that, that we, in our brokenness, cannot even escape from his love. Well, it's really encouraging. Yeah, listener, I would say um, go back and listen to the podcast, like take the cursor or whatnot and and go back like 10, 15 minutes and listen to it in chunks because a lot has been said in this last uh, 10 or so minutes and you want to get it all. And sometimes even as the... Even as the host, I'm listening down. Like, I definitely want to review that and think more about that. I typically will listen to the podcast after it's all edited and processed, just so I can soak up everything that was talked about. There's a little bit like a theological treatise on the atonement when you yeah, were sharing absolutely. it. Absolutely. I learned a lot today. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about Kevin, right, is I know I'm not only going to be encouraged, but I'm going to uh, think deeply, mm-hmm. as, as we say we're aiming at. That Kevin, you helped me do that so wonderfully. I can only do that because others have written and taught and preached for 2,000 years explaining and admiring and trying to understand yeah, but you, exactly you, what's accomplished. You communicate what has been said for 2,000 years so well. Thank you. Appreciate that, yeah. Amen. And, you know, we've got uh, young students, teenagers in the room that are students studying at Hampton yep. Christian, and that would be a word I would say to you guys is you're young. Feed your heart and mind with Scripture. Read and read and study and read great books that um, you are meditating on God's law day and night. Know the word well. Know the word well. Just store it up in your heart and mind. Think deeply. So good on you for being a part of this podcast and thinking about reading and going to uh, school with Dr. Jones here. Be a good exhortation to you. Um, let's talk about, and uh, maybe I'll kick this to uh, Jeff Me, we got two doctors at the table, actually. If I need a prescription, I'll let you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's talk about uh, active and passive obedience. What is that about? Yeah, so, so Kevin uh, hinted at this earlier. Christ's active obedience is his life of righteousness, right? He's, he's uh, actively um, uh, obeying all that was required by God. 
his passive obedience is in our place, his death in our place. Um, it reminds me of the hymn, uh, the lyrics, uh, Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath, and make me pure. So you see both expiation and propitiation there through the active obedience of Christ and the uh, passive obedience of Christ. And we do. We, we sing a lot of songs about the passive obedience of Christ. And praise God, we will inhabit. Um, I, I wonder if I haven't missed out on the enjoyment of getting to know the active obedience of Christ as well. So that song you mentioned, that hymn, is Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, yep. yeah. Yeah, but for me. I remember the line. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the line, too, but I had to look it up. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Great. Great hymn. Uh, any thought about that you have with active and passive obedience? I uh, had never even heard of that. So, you know, I, we teach, I, I teach uh, from Grudem systematic theology to our uh, theology class when we do that. And uh, this was not in there, I don't think, or maybe it is, and I missed it. But so I, uh, I, I, like you mentioned the coffee business. I got these questions at 4 a.m. this morning when I woke up because I fell asleep before you sent them last night. Uh, so when I saw it, I said, I don't know what that is. And I looked it up and I read a little about it. And uh, I just never, um, never thought about it that much. So uh, I guess, you know, just to say that, I don't have anything to add. And I just am encouraged that I'm here learning today, too. So uh, my word is just, hey, you know, we can always learn more about everything, including Christ's atonement, like we are today. Appreciate your humility, brother. John Murray offers these helpful summaries. Active obedience is Jesus perfectly fulfilling the demands of righteousness. Passive obedience is Jesus perfectly taking care of the guilt of sin. So his obedience, both active and passive, becomes the ground of the remission of sin and of actual justification. Mm. That's good. How does that tie back to the virgin birth? Like, why did it have to be a virgin that he was born of? Well, so that he would not inherit, we talked about that, I uh, think, last episode, um, his father's guilt, his father's sin, uh, sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that it drives me to consider uh, is how we relate to Jesus's life, certainly he is an example of what it is to be a perfect brother, a perfect son. But the two most dominant themes in the New Testament about the life of Jesus in his active obedience are that he obeyed his father. He only did what his father wanted him to do. He only said what his father wanted him to say. He's only here on his behalf, right? So there's this, I came into the world, I was sent on a mission. And so there's this beautiful submission. I know that's not a word we like very much in our culture, but the dominant idea in the New Testament about Jesus's righteous life is that he's earning the covenant blessings through obedience. But it's an obedience that it that we can't, do. This is why Jeff's exactly right. The virgin birth establishes a new Adam, a new Adam for a new and redeemed humanity. And so just as we fell in our first father, so too are we in being united to Christ, risen in a new Adam, or as Paul says, uh, uh, the last Adam. Um, And uh, Richard Gaffin from Westminster Seminary has a phenomenal article on how 
uh, Jesus became a life-giving spirit. And, and looking at the life that, that is applied to the individual believer through that. But the active life is one of obedience, and then the other theme there is suffering. Mm-hmm. And, and you cannot read and understand the book of Hebrews in the New Testament without seeing the significant importance of Jesus suffering in our place. God, who is glorified, leaving the glory, the angelic choruses, singing his praise at all times. He steps out of that place to take on a human body, to eat and have to eat and feel hunger, to need to sleep and shut down. I mean, his mom's so worried about him in the days of his ministry that she sends the siblings after him to go grab him and bring him home because she wants to feed him and give him a nap like every good mother wants. And so you see this Jesus who's growing up in Mary's kitchen is the same one who is earning the blessings of the covenant she can't. So when we think about the active obedience of Christ, there's way more to study than uh, we've ever imagined. One of my great favorite guys to read is J. Gresham Machen. You've probably heard that name many times. Uh, But his final act was to write a telegram. He knows he's going to die, and he's, uh, you know, he sends a telegram to his great buddy and, and confidant, John Murray, and the only thing on it is the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. That's his final word. Wow. For all the tomes of books he, he wrote and all the lectures he gave and all the men he influenced and have been influenced by things that he did and said, his final word to us is the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. Hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I just gave a bit of a testimony. I FaceTimed Joy, my wife, a couple of days ago, sitting in my office, and I said, you know, honey, like, the older I get, the more I realize what a wretched sinner I am. And there are areas in my life to where, like, I just want to conquer that. And I shared, I think that I've, like, tried to, like, I know theologically I don't hold this position, but, like, work myself up to not sin because I don't want to sin you know, I really don't want to sin, and it's not like I'm killing people or doing something that the world would be like, oh, that's a big sin problem. But I know in my heart that my mouth gets ahead of what I should say. You know, I'm treasuring things or I'm thinking an uncharitable thought or, you know, my eyes as a guy is looking, you know, like all those things and or being impatient or uh, not being charitable and compassionate. And um, as I was talking with her about that, thinking about the atonement, becomes sweeter to me. The, yeah, the, it should. Absolutely. That Christ did it all. So as you brothers are sharing, like, I don't, I don't want to struggle with sin. I know one day that that struggle will be over. Yeah, but you're also growing in a righteous anger towards it. Yes. Not all anger is bad. Uh, sometimes Jesus flips the money changers table and, and he argues and like, not in sin, none of it is sin. So that tells us that there is a holy fire that that consumes evil and restores and brings fertile soil at the same time. Yeah, one of the things that I'm driving at is that this isn't an abstract, academic, detached doctrine to me. Like, this is precious to me, that, and I uh, have gratitude and thanks and, and, like, wonder and awe and humility down to, like— weeping that the Savior of the world would cover all of my sin, because I know how vast it is. 
more we, than any. We don't, and we don't talk about sin that much. You know, everything is good, happy. K-love. Social, K-love, yeah. Po- positive, encouraging. Social media, everybody's putting their best foot forward and in the filters and stuff. But, like, as a Christian, we struggle with sin. And I think it's good, as you mentioned before the podcast, I know you're going to promote that book, is to take time and study the atonement uh, every year. Pastor Kevin mentions that he reads this book, Pierce for Our Transgressions, and I just skimmed through it prior to the podcast, and I can't wait to buy it. I think D.A. Carson's uh, recommendation on the back, he says, this book is important not only because it deals so completely with what lies at the heart of Christ's cross work, but because it responds effectively to a new generation of people who are not listening very carefully to what either Scripture or history says. Mm. It's recommended by John Frames, uh, David Wells, Timothy George at Beeson, uh, Dr. Schreiner. I had him at Southern New Testament. Yeah. Really wonderful, humble brother. A couple of others that I Piper wrote the forward. Yeah, John Piper wrote the forward, and he's a trusted pastor thinker. Yeah. So Pierce for Our Transgressions. And you said you read this every, every year, year. As, it headed, as we're headed to Easter? Yeah, that's my Lent habit. Thinking about what you said about uh, just the atonement being sweet to you, I, and this this isn't just an academic topic. You know, we talk about it, we think about it. But one of the things I teach in uh, my theology class is I, I relate, and you'll appreciate this as a fellow music guy. Uh, I relate theology to music theory. We can sit around and study the theory of music, and you know, I, I bring up Claude uh, Claude Debussy, uh, Claire de Lune, one of my favorite piano pieces. And we're, I just I bring it up and I, we look at it and we look at the music and we say, well, this chord does this. And then he moves this to this. And it's really brilliant how he does that. And I say, how, you know, is anyone really compelled by that? No, not really. Then we listen to the music and it's beautiful. Mm. And so I relate it to them. I say, guys, when we study music, we appreciate listening to it more. When we study the atonement, we appreciate it in our hearts more. What's the point of studying it if it doesn't affect our lives and grow our faith and make us fall more in love with what Jesus and what he did? And we see that in, in, as Paul studies, thinks deeply in, throughout Romans about the atonement, he has these doxology moments. Yes, he does. Where it's almost like he just puts the pen down and says, I just have to praise God. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Great yeah Romans 11, Oath the Depths and the Wisdom mm. and the Riches of God. Yeah. So That's good. listening to the music. Yes, that was excellent, brother. I appreciate that. We are a minute and 30 seconds away from closing this episode. Uh, final words that you would have, a quick lightning round on the atonement final word would be the atonement satisfied God it should satisfy you so listeners you are unhappy uh, as you are frustrated as you are dissatisfied with yourself remember the atonement satisfied the father it should satisfy you as well Man, have you been thinking about that all week? That was Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> Got that written down in my notes. I was waiting. <laughs> He's a master at concision, he is, isn't he? Man. Learning. My, my final thought is simply this. I'll borrow Herman Bovinks. The resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning is the amen of the Father placed upon the it is finished of the Son. Mm. Say it again. The resurrection of Jesus is the amen of the Father placed upon the it is finished of the Son. Amen. Those were awesome. I'm, my heart's beating faster listening to those quotes. Thank Yeah, that's awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode, and I thank my man to kick this off here. Uh, good fella uh, from Hampton Christian. We're glad to have the students here with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Doxology Matters. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, um, you name Amazon, anywhere you can listen to a podcast. You can go to our website, bbcyorktown.org, and look under Worship Arts Ministry and find Doxology Matters. Shoot us an email at doxology at bbcyorktown and let us know how this episode helped you to be more thankful and to cherish the finished work of Christ more deeply. Thanks for listening.